This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about spirit-led discipleship. We believe God has called us to a courageous life that is empowered by the Spirit. There it is. We believe that we are called to live an empowered life. It's actually built into our mission statement as a church. We say this, we are called to equip and empower you, the body of Christ, the saints, to love, to follow, to serve Jesus courageously in the earth. That's our calling. That's our aim. That's what we're trying to do each and every week when we gather. That's what we're trying to do through Alpha, through the launch of community groups, which we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks, in our prayer gatherings, in our outreach, in the way that we serve our city. We want to be a people that love, follow, and serve Jesus courageously. And our job is to equip and empower you to do that. And so we believe that you're going to need power. You can't do it on your own strength. How many have tried and failed? Yes. And so becoming a disciple of Jesus is not about you mustering up the courage or the strength in your own self to try to love, follow, and serve him. It's embracing his Holy Spirit and his life that he wants to empower in and through you. I believe the Holy Spirit both fills us and empowers our lives to follow Jesus. See, the goal for us is to become like Christ. We believe Christ-likeness is the goal for every believer. And so as disciples, as apprentices, we are becoming like Jesus as we follow him. And the goal is that we would then serve him in the earth, and we do so courageously. And so we're going to need the Spirit's help. We're going to need the Spirit's help to become the disciples of Jesus that he's calling us to become. I said this before, and I'll say it again. At Courageous Church, we want every single thing we do to be about Jesus. He's what it's all about. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith, the scriptures say. He's the destination for where our lives are headed. He's the image of what our lives are being conformed to look like. The scriptures say that we are being conformed to the image of the Son. It's all about Jesus. And ultimately, discipleship is about becoming his apprentices, becoming learners of his life. It's taking on his way of life and ditching our way of life. The gripping and the striving and the contending and the wrestling and the anxiety and the worry and the stress. Come on, how many of you are ready to leave all that behind? It's a daily choice that we have to make when we get up in the morning. It's not like we just graduate and one day we're good. Stress is no longer an issue for me, hallelujah. Right? No, we are on a journey. And that journey is us learning to follow Jesus and be led by his spirit. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit. I believe it's really important that we become grounded in this reality. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to help us to do the very things that Jesus did. I believe the only way that our lives are gonna reflect him is in and through the help of his spirit. And so today we're gonna talk about this. How does the Holy Spirit want to empower you to live a courageous life in the earth? Are you with me today? Now, depending upon your background and or experience with the things of God, you may have heard a lot about the Holy Spirit. Or you may have heard nothing at all. And I want to begin today by debunking a few notions about who the Holy Spirit is. So let's begin with who the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not a mystical force or energy. Any Star Wars fans out there? Come on, don't be shy. All you nerds are safe in this place. I love Star Wars. I am a self-avowed Star Wars fan. I drank the Kool-Aid, and I've been in ever since. Okay, when I was a kid, growing up in the 80s, anybody remember VCRs? I remember my cousin came over with this little VHS tape, 
And he's like, dude, we have to watch this now. And I'm like, what is it? He's like, get ready to have your mind blown. It was like 86, right? A few years after, I believe, Return of the Jedi had come out. But he had captured the Empire Strikes Back on a holiday special when they just played it back in the day when they used to play it on TV. Commercials and all. And so he loads this tape into the VCR and he, he goes, get ready. And we go off to Star Wars land together. And it was amazing. And I was a little kid and I was just like, wow. And I remember hearing about the force, this mystical energy that binds all things together, all living things. And it flows in things and throughout things. And it was mysterious and whimsical and magical and fun. And I still love Star Wars today. Even after George Lucas destroyed it with midichlorians and all of that business. But I digress. But here's the thing about Star Wars. Star Wars and its worldview that it espouses is built on pantheism. Pantheism comes from the Greek word pan, which means all, and theism meaning the study of God or of God. It is this belief that the impersonal God is one essence with the universe. It means that God inhabits all things and that the universe is God and God is the universe. Okay, this is what pantheism teaches. In other words, God's not separate. He's not distinct from the universe, but he's contained within it. This is the, the worldview that lies at the foundation of Hinduism. It lies at the foundation of Buddhism. It lies at the foundation of most New Age religions. How does this get fleshed out? Sometimes you'll hear people say, man, the universe just led me to this moment. You know, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual, and, you know, the universe brought me here today. So there's this casual sense of pantheism, even within our culture today. And basically what they're saying is that the universe is God. But the Bible doesn't teach pantheism. It teaches that God exists apart from the universe, and that God made the universe out of nothing. It also teaches that God is not impersonal, but that he's personal, meaning that you can know him as a person. And that you can be known by him. Okay, sometimes when people talk about the Holy Spirit, they talk as if the Holy Spirit is some kind of mystical force or energy. But the scriptures present the Holy Spirit as a person, as someone who can be known with personality, with traits, with character. As a person, the Holy Spirit exercises will. He operates uniquely within the Godhead as being distinct from God the Father and God the Son, and he carries out his own works. This is really important. He's also referred to by personal pronouns like I and he. He creates, he empowers, he convicts, he speaks, he prays, he intercedes, he guides, he teaches, he gives gifts, and he commands. He can also be grieved. Yes, the Holy Spirit is a person. Equally important, the Holy Spirit is not a separate God or a lesser God. He is eternally and triunely God, meaning that he is both personally God and distinctly one of three persons. Now, this can be a little confusing, I know. So let me break it down for you. The scriptures teach that God is both one and three. He's both and. And he's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not three separate gods, He's not three distinct gods. He's not three gods divided up. He is divinely one God coexisting in three persons. We call this doctrine the doctrine of the Trinity. And it's been taught for years and years and years since the beginning of the church. He's triune, meaning there's perfect unity within the three. 
And this is how we are to understand God, biblically speaking. If we're going to be biblical Christians who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, who serve Jesus courageously, we need to do so biblically. Amen? Now, modalism, this is separate from pantheism. Modalism, on the other hand, teaches that God is represented by three modes or aspects, we could say, of the divine nature. But these three modes are not coexisting. They don't exist together. To simplify this, modalism would say that God has three separate personalities. And depending upon what mood he's in, you're going to experience that particular personality. All right, so if God's in a good mood, maybe you get the son. If he's in a bad mood, maybe you get the father. Maybe if he's in a, you know, a mysterious mood, you get the spirit. That's not the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, that's what modalism teaches. The Holy Spirit is not a mood or a mode of God. Are you tracking with me? I promise this is as deep as we will go today. He is God. Now, here's where it can get interesting. Some churches will emphasize one or two members of the Godhead at the expense or the neglect of the other. Okay, some of you may even come from churches that never even talk about the Holy Spirit. In this sense, the Holy Spirit's kind of like the red-headed stepchild in the corner. Everyone kind of knows he's there, but no one wants to talk to him. By the way, why does the redhead get the hate? Who came up with that red-headed stepchild? I don't know. But the Holy Spirit is not a red-headed stepchild, or a brown-headed stepchild, or a blonde-headed stepchild. Okay, the Holy Spirit is God. And some of you may have come from experiences or backgrounds where you never hear about the Holy Spirit. We sang about the Holy Spirit today on purpose. <laughs> Perhaps you come from a background where maybe you even believe in him conceptually. Like you read the scriptures and you're like, okay, I believe the Holy Spirit exists. Maybe I've even experienced his presence. But maybe you've never really engaged with him. And this is sad because it not only causes imbalance in our theology, but it causes us to miss out on having a relationship with God. With God. With God the Holy Spirit. On the flip side of that, some of you may have come from churches or a background where all you ever hear about is the Holy Spirit. All we ever talk about is the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And in this sense, you might even be surprised how much we talk about Jesus or God the Father here at Courageous Church. And by overemphasizing sometimes the Spirit, it too can cause us to miss out on seeing the whole picture of who God is and wants to be in our life. Amen? The simple truth is this, we need to know and understand the person and the full work of the Holy Spirit so that we can live a life that is empowered by him. That's what we're talking about today, living a life, a courageous life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's so much more I want to say about this and point to about the Holy Spirit, and in just a few weeks we're actually going to do that. But I believe this, the Spirit of God is more than a concept, he's more than a feeling, He's more real than we know, and here's the good news. He absolutely desires to live in us. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 7. He said this to his disciples. This would be to us today. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, the word for helper here in the Greek is parakletos, which translates to paraclete in English. And it means the one who is summoned or called to one side to bring aid. Don't you just love that? The one who is summoned to your side to bring aid, 
to bring help. It actually originated as a legal term, and it implies that Jesus was calling the Holy Spirit to come to the aid of his disciples, of his followers. And so much so that Jesus said it was to their advantage that he leave. Now, many of us today would think, God, if we could just have Jesus in the flesh, our lives would be so much better. If he could just be here right now teaching instead of Pastor Jason, man, our lives would be so much better. If he could just wake up with me in the morning and greet me with bacon and eggs, our life would be so much better. But Jesus says, no, nay, it is better that I get out of here so that the Holy Spirit can come to help you. Now, I want us to hear that as a personal message to us today. It's better for him to go so that the Holy Spirit can come live and dwell within you, to come to help you. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us. He wants to be our helper. He not only wants to come to our side, he wants to live in us. How amazing is that? Listen to what the scriptures say about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verses 48 through 50. It says this, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, verse 49, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? I want to say this. It has never been the intention of God to dwell in houses made with human hands. It has always been the intention of God to dwell in human hearts. Can I say that again? I feel like I need to take a sledgehammer to some of your religion today. Is that okay? I'll be gentle at first and then we'll plow. It's never been the intent of God to live out there. It's always been his heart to live in you and with you. Ever since the dawn of creation. When Adam and Eve were walking in the garden in the presence of the Lord, it was his desire to be with them, to live life with them, to do life with them, to be their everything. And that's still the desire of God's heart for you. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've never even heard about the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you that his desire, his love for you was so great that he came through the person and work of his son to make a way so that he could live in you. That's the most revolutionary thing about Jesus and about Christianity. Because every other religion teaches that you got to find your way to God. you got to climb a certain ladder. you got to ascend. you got to get it right. you got to get all of your good works in order. you got to live a good life, which is impossible, by the way, in order to reach or attain the divine. The good news of Jesus and through his son and even through the Holy Spirit is that God wants to come down and reside with you. And not because you earned the right for that to take place, but because of his goodness, because of his grace, because of his unfailing and loving kindness toward us, who were once sinners, who once rebelled against him, who wanted nothing to do with him, who turned their back on him and said, I'm going to live my life according to the way that I want to live it. And God pursued us. I believe it's Romans that says, even while we were yet dead in sin, Christ died for us. That's the good news. So this God, this eternal God who made the cosmos and the stars and the planets orbit right on their axis, the way they were called to, wants to come live and abide in us through the presence and through the power of his Holy Spirit. I hope you feel encouraged by that today. Here's what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-5 through 5 echoes this. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you, church, 
you yourselves are like living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house. So God wants to take you and I as living stones alive in Christ and build us up into a spiritual house. That's why when we come to this place, I don't say this is the house of God because we together as the body of Christ are the house of God. We are the living spiritual house of God and it takes each and every one of us as living stones to come together so that we can be built up together to behold and carry and represent the presence of God to this valley to people that are living all around us. We can't do it by ourselves. You're not a spiritual house by yourself. I'm sorry. But together, vibrant living stones, beating, echoing, vibrating, circulating, doing life together. Yes, it's messy. Yes, we make mistakes. But being filled with the presence of God, filled with his Holy Spirit. God has always desired to build you into a spiritual house for his spirit. Paul says this in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, it says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Because of what Jesus did, you and I were bought with the high price of his blood shed on that cross. And we are ransomed by the blood of Jesus. And it's by that blood that was spilt for us that we are no longer our own, meaning we no longer have rights to ourselves. We belong to him. And as one who belongs to God, he wants to fill you and empower you with his spirit. Many of us, we stop at the cross, we say, thank you, Jesus. And then we go on living our lives the way we want to live them because we still think our lives belong to us. We make the mistake of believing that our lives are still our own. But if you've put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, your life is no longer your own. Because you were bought. You were ransomed out of slavery to sin and death. And you were brought into his kingdom of light. And your life now belongs to him. And we don't like to preach those kind of messages in the church today. Because it flies in the face of our consumeristic tendencies to make it all about us. I go to Burger King and I have it my way. I put on the crown and everything. And I walk around like I'm the King Tut. Frank Sinatra said, do it your way. I did it my way. How well did that work out for you, Frank? And we hear that message, and it's subtly reinforced in every commercial and every advertisement. We've made our lives all about us. But for those of you that are in Christ, your life is no longer your own. And I want to tell you something. At first, that sounds abrasive, but when you realize what God wants to fill you with, when you realize that he wants to place his Holy Spirit in you and give you power, you'll stop looking to the counterfeit. You'll stop trying to manage and manipulate your life and to get to the place that you think is going to bring you contentment and happiness. Because that kind of success is void. It's empty. But as jars of clay, we are being filled with something that is not void and not empty. We are being filled with God himself the power of the universe. Paul says the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now resides in you. Preaching to myself today, people. I know it's early. 49ers, come on. God wants to fill you with himself. And if you get nothing else out of the message, know this. He loves you, and you don't qualify to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you've got a perfect life 
or because you do everything right or because you've kicked every addiction to the curb. Come on, he wants to fill you right as you are. Jesus took a ragamuffin crew and said, follow me, and then he breathed on them. Yes, Peter who denied him, John and James who wanted to call down thunder and just destroy a whole village. Jesus breathed on those guys. And he said, receive my spirit. Do you think he said, now first, what I need you guys to do is I need you to go through celebrate recovery and I need you to deal with your habits and your hurts and your hangups. And then I need you to go enroll in a university and I need you to get your theology worked out because you guys have some weird theology. All right, and Peter, you love the sword. You keep pulling it out to chop people's ears off. So maybe you should go through like an anger management program first, you know, and then I'll give you my Holy Spirit. No, he doesn't do any of that. He says, I take you as I find you. Are you ready? Are you willing? Are you ready to receive what I have for you? (sighs) Take it. Could you believe it? With that, he turned the whole world upside down. He doesn't need us to try to look all pretty and put on our fancy gray jackets and present ourselves as educated folks. He needs us to be open and willing to surrender and be vulnerable and honest And display our brokenness and say, God, I'm a cracked vase. But if you're willing to put this all-surpassing power in me to show forth your glory, then here I am. Here I am. That is what he wants for us. God wants us to live an empowered life. He wants us to not only be empowered for our own sake, but so that we can overcome the things of sin, the things of the enemy, and all of his schemes that he's trying to work against us. Come on, we need power to do that. Can I say it this way? Jesus wants you and I to be overcomers. And he wants us to radiate with his power and his presence and his glory. And the only way that's going to happen is if we embrace the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. How do we embrace the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? I made it real simple for you today. Number one, we ask for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will my father in heaven give me the Holy Spirit if I ask of him? Maybe we should read it that way. So number one, we ask. Have you asked your heavenly father for the Holy Spirit? We ask this every time we lead people in prayers of salvation. The scriptures declare that no one can actually say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin and that convinces us of our righteousness in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Can I say that again? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of its sin. It's not your job. It's not my job. It's not my job to get on Facebook and tell everybody where they're wrong. It's the Holy Spirit's job to work on the heart, to convict. But here's the good news. For those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, who have felt that conviction and repented and said, I'm going to turn this way and I'm going to embrace the kingdom life. And I'm going to embrace your good news and the gospel and all that you have for me, Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role is now to convince you. So he convicts the world of its sin and he convinces the righteous of their righteousness in Christ. Now, sometimes I don't feel very righteous, church. But the Holy Spirit comes along and says, that's not who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the more that we are open, the more that we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and pervade our life, the more that he begins to convince us of the truth. 
And that, my friends, is the shift that takes place in our lives. When we stop becoming so sin-conscious and sin-focused and everything's about what we've done wrong. Come on, am I preaching to anybody in this place today? And we start to listen to the Holy Spirit who convinces you of who you now are in Christ. Forgiven, chosen, redeemed, beloved by God. And nothing can change that. There's absolutely nothing you can do today or tomorrow to take away from that. And there's absolutely nothing you could do today or tomorrow to add to that fact. Because of what Jesus did, it's accomplished. It's finished. It's done. Now, the battle is whether or not you're going to believe it. Whether or not you're actually going to come into alignment with the truth of God about who he says you are. Now, there's days where I don't feel that way. But who said we had to trust our feelings? Since when did my feelings ever get it right? Well, that person hurt me, and I feel offended, and I'm, oh, 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 somebody just stroked me, put me in a safe space. Mm. (laughs) Tell me it's going to be okay. You're righteous because of what my son did. It's imputed to you. It's a gift. So receive it along with the Holy Spirit. We ask for the Holy Spirit. That's number one. Number two, we go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine. Hello, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We address each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It means we sing, we make melody to the Lord with our heart. Even if you have one of those voices that only Jesus loves. Some of you are like, I'm not a singer. I can't sing like Pastor Sean can, okay? I can't sing with the angels like Sean does. That's okay. You have a voice that only Jesus loves. But sing and make melody into your heart. And greet each other with the word of God with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's not so that we walk around going, la, 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 into the unknown. All right, that's not how it works. Frozen reference. That's not how it works. It's you actually declaring the word of God over your life. It's declaring the psalms. There's a whole book of them. Just pick one. Make that your thing for a week and watch how God changes your life. It's submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ and putting the preference of other people's needs before your own. Well, Jason, that doesn't sound very spiritual, but it's the way that God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Some of you are like, I just want the glory. I just want it all. And God's like, go submit to somebody. We don't like that one. Submit yourself. Prefer someone over you. Make somebody else your focus and serve their needs for a day. And watch how your life begins to radiate with the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching to myself because I'm a selfish person by nature. Can I get a witness, Candace? She's laughing, but she's so nice. She's not going to say anything. It's so easy for it to be about me, guys. It's so easy. And Jesus takes me here and he goes, you want to be full of my Holy Spirit? Go serve your wife. Go serve your kids. Go serve your family. Go serve your community. Go serve your city. Go serve somebody besides yourself. And watch how I fill you with the Spirit. Watch how I fill you. Now, I love this because the present tense of the verb be filled indicates an ongoing condition. 
meaning it's not one and done. Some people read Ephesians 5 and they go, be filled, okay, it's a one-time thing. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, I have, thank you. Good for you. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? You know what, it's not a one and done thing. It's a present tense. It's an ongoing condition. It's not one and done. It means to go on being filled. That's what the Greek is actually trying to get us to understand. Paul is saying this to people that have already received the Holy Spirit. He's not saying it to people that haven't. He's saying it to people who have. So he's saying, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's how you do it. You sing. You give thanks. You put other people's needs before your own. You submit to each other out of reverence, out of your love for him. It's a present, ongoing action. So number one, we ask for the Holy Spirit. Number two, we go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And lastly, today, number three, we pray in the Holy Spirit. Paul would say this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Not some, all. And your requests. So we're supposed to do that in the Spirit? Guys, prayer is so powerful. It's more powerful than we know. And especially when it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, praying in the Spirit is not just about praying in an unknown tongue. It's actually about praying under the influence, under the power of the Holy Spirit. He contrasts wine and getting drunk with wine. And what is getting drunk on wine? It's going under the influence of a substance. For those of you that love wine, maybe you love it a little too much, you know what I'm talking about. You come under its influence, meaning it has power over you, has authority over you. It dictates decisions. It opens you up to things that maybe you were never open to do before. And in the same way, he contrasts that with the Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit, meaning he wants you to pray under the influence of heaven, under the influence of God himself. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that when you pray, you're being led by him. You're being sensitive to him. You're discerning. You're becoming aware of him. When I pray, I say this, God, what do you want me to pray about today? What can I join you in today? Let's have a conversation. What do you want to talk about today? There's a time and a place to offer your request. There's a time and place to do that through thanksgiving and supplication. We know that, right? But here Paul is saying, I want you to pray in the power of the Spirit, to come under the influence of God himself so that you can be directed by God in how to pray. And when that happens, your prayers take on a whole different emphasis. They take on a whole different weight. Paul says to do this on all occasions. That means he wants us to always be praying and to do so by the Spirit and its power. As we talked about with our core value on prayer, this is one of the key ways that I believe God wants to manifest the power of his Spirit in our life. It's actually about being under his influence so that we can draw from and receive power and life from him. That's what he wants for us, church. He doesn't want us to go through life without his help, without his power. Jesus even said, if you, my disciples, will go to Jerusalem and wait, I'll give you power so that what? You can just be powerful so that you can be my witnesses, so that you can testify of my life. Let me simplify it, so that you can point people to me. So that when people see your life, they see Jesus. So they see Jesus. That's what it means to be a witness. I'm just trying to testify and I'm just telling other people what I've seen. I'm just one man trying to tell everybody about this extraordinary God. See, the hope that we have as Christians, as Christ followers, as believers, is that our life is found 
in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. He's made us alive together with Christ. And he's now seated us with Christ in heavenly places. What the heck does that mean? It means that our life now comes from him. So we draw our life. We draw our power. We draw our help from God the Holy Spirit himself. This is what it means to live a courageous life empowered by the Spirit. We ask, we go on being filled, and church, we pray. It's really that simple. Some of us go, no, it needs to be more complicated than that. Jesus doesn't make it any more complicated than that. Jesus says, ask, and I'll give. Go on being filled, and pray on all occasions. It's that simple. I don't know about you, but I need that encouragement because sometimes I make it harder than it is. Sometimes I dance around all the answers that God already has for me for the problem that I face because I think I have to jump through hoops. But God says, no, I don't want it to be that hard for you. It's better that I go so that I can give you my helper, the Holy Spirit, and fill you and empower you to live a courageous life in the earth so that fear doesn't have to have authority over you, so that substance addiction doesn't have to have authority over you, so that the past and your hurt doesn't have to have authority over you, so the places where you don't feel like you measure up doesn't have to have authority over you. Come under the authority and the influence of the Holy Spirit and be filled with him so that we can tell people of this Jesus that we have, church, it's not just for us, it's for this valley. And that's why God has called this church to arise and shine. That's why he's called us to go forth, to live a courageous life, to kick fear in the face and say, no, we're not going to stop today just because we got to know. We're going to keep pressing in. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep believing. We're going to keep giving. We're going to keep being devoted to Jesus in all things. We're going to keep sharing good news. That's what the seven's all about. And that's why God's called us to be here. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you for listening today. To find out more information about our church, including ways you can give, please visit us at CourageousChurch.com.